below? Is anybody? Oh. Okay, there's like a some kind of egg in a desk. Um, I don't really know what's going on. I just woke up in this. Is it a basement? It kind of looks like a basement. Oh, computer. There's some tabs open and a note. I guess I have to read some Wikipedia articles. Because somebody... Somebody donated some money or something? I don't know. Oh, oh boy. Okay, what are these? Uh, all are Wikipedia articles. Okay. Huh. Alright, this was... The stuff? Uh... Hmm. Alright. This is not a very long page. Um, The Stuff, also known as Larry Cohen's The Stuff. Larry Cohen. That's, I think I know that name. It sounds familiar. It's in 1985. American satirical science fiction horror film. Written and directed by Larry Cohen and starring Michael Moriarty, Garrett Morris, Andrea Marcovici, and Paul Sorvino. It was also the last film of noted actor Alexander Scorby. Ooh, that's spooky. Uh, plot. Let's see. Several railroad. Rail, whoa. Several. Several? Several railroad workers. That's tough. Several railroad workers discover a white, cream like alien substance what bubbling bubbling out of the oh hold on wait what several railroad workers discover a white cream-like alien substance bubbling out of the ground Ugh. these workers find it to be sweet and addictive oh no no <laughs> somebody put it in their mouth Later, the substance, marketed as the stuff, is being sold to the general public in containers like ice cream. Oh, no. It is marketed as having no calories and as being sweet, creamy, and filling. The stuff quickly becomes a nationwide craze and drastically hurts the sales of ice cream. Ah. Former FBI agent turned industrial saboteur, David Moe Rutherford is hired by the leaders of the suffering ice cream industry. Whoa, I, oh, I lost my place. As as well as junk food mogul Charles W. Chocolate Chip Charlie Hobbs to find out exactly what the stuff is and to destroy it. <laughs> Chocolate Chip Charlie Hobbs. Under their commissions, Rutherford conducts an investigation into the stuff. His efforts reveal, to his initial horror, that the craze for the dessert is far deadlier than anyone had believed. The stuff is actually a living, parasitic, and possibly sentient organism that gradually takes over the brain. It then mutates those who eat it 
into bizarre zombie-like creatures before consuming them from the inside out and leaving them empty shelves of their former selves. Oh, that's... That's spooky. <laughs> oh my gosh. Whoa. A young boy named Jason also discovers the stuff is alive and sees how it affects his family and how they are adamantly against his beliefs on the stuff. He gets arrested for vandalizing a supermarket display of the stuff, attracting the attention of Rutherford, who comes to his aid. Rutherford also manages to charm Nicole. Who's Nicole? An advertising executive, oh, who becomes his partner and lover when she sees the effect of the stuff. What? The trio infiltrates the distribution operation, which is actually an organization corporate, oh, whoa, which is actually an organized corporate effort to spread the stuff on the basis of eliminating world hunger and destroy the lake of the stuff with explosives. When did it become a lake? Though Hobbs is killed by the stuff. Oh, whoa. R.I.P. Meanwhile, United States Army Colonel Malcolm Gromit Spears, a retired soldier, leads a militia in battling the zombies and transmitting a civil defense message for Americans to break their addiction to the stuff by destroying it with fire. The stuff addiction is ended, and Rutherford, Nicole, Jason, and Colonel Spears are hailed as national heroes. Moe then visits the head of the stuff company, a man named Mr. Fletcher. He tells Moe that the destruction of the mine has not hurt his business, since the stuff seeps out from many places in the ground. Oh, that's spooky. But Moe vows to find those places and get rid of all of them. Another man, Mr. Vickers, brings in Mr. Evans, the ice cream mogul with whom he is now working, and who had originally hired Mo to find out what the stuff was. They tell him they have come up with a new product that they call the Taste, which is a mix of 88% ice cream and 12% the stuff, supposedly enough to make people crave more without it taking over their minds or killing them. However, Mo then brings in Jason, who is carrying a box, and then holds the two moguls at gunpoint. Oh. The box is full of pint containers of the stuff, and Mo forces both to eat them as... Oh, both to eat all of... Wait, whoa. And Mo forces both to eat them all as punishment for all the lives lost to it and for their greed. What a rough sentence. As they do, Rutherford asks, Are you eating it, or is it eating you? Oh, that's spooky. When they finish, Moe and Jason leave them to the approaching police. The film ends with smugglers selling the stuff on the black market, having one of the smugglers tasting the stuff, and revealing that samples of the stuff still exist. In a post-credit scene, a woman in a bathroom, Brooke Adams, says, Enough is never enough, while holding the stuff. That gave me, I think, a headache. It was a lot. I felt like the longest thing I've ever read in my entire life. 
Oh my god, there's two more of these things. Ugh. Alright, hold on. Give, give me a minute. Chopping mall. Chopping mall. Chopping mall. Originally released as Killbots. Ooh, that's a really cool name. Is a 1986 American science fiction comedy horror film co-written and directed by Jim Wynorski, produced by Julie Corman and starring Kelly Maroney, Tony O'Dell, John Terleski, and Russell Todd. The story focuses on three security robots turning maniacal and killing teenage employees inside a shopping mall after dark. Ooh, that's neat. Whoa, there's a ta there's a thing for alternative versions. Oh, is that one of those Berenstein Bears things, or is it probably just like different film endings? Let's check out this plot. Oh, it's a nice short, nice short little movie. I love a short little movie. They should all be either short or the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. That's it. Here, let's check out this plot. Park Plaza Mall. That's a good mall name. Park Plaza Mall has just installed a state-of-the-art security system, including shutters across all exits and three high-tech robots programmed to disable and apprehend thieves using tasers and tranquilizer guns. Whoa, what year is this set? in because it's like probably a month away from happening if it isn't if we're not doing that yet probably just haven't read about it yet four couples rick and linda greg and Susie, mike and leslie and ferdy and allison fuck yeah decide to have a party in a furniture store where all three of them work wait that was definitely more than oh where three of them work yeah, that makes more sense. After hours, all of them, except Allison and Ferdy, begin to have sex, drink, and party inside the furniture store. Normal. Outside, a lightning storm strikes them all several times and damages the computer controlling protectors 1, 2, and 3, which kill the technicians? Oh, which kill the technicians and a janitor before starting their routine patrol. Starting with Protector 1, Mike and Leslie get killed as they leave the store, witnessed by the others who scatter. The men break into a sporting goods store to arm themselves with firearms, while the women take gasoline and flares from an automotive store. Is it a good mall? Using a propane tank, the men blow up and seemingly destroy Protector 1. While the men set up the elevator as a booby trap, the killbots... Wait, are they protectors or killbots? The killbots ambush the women and ignite Susie by shooting her gasoline can, killing her. Greg unsuccessfully shoots them before Rick drags them away. The teenagers regroup and rig the elevator trap on Protector 2, destroying it. Then they hide in the restaurant where Allison works. Inside, Greg confronts Allison and Linda about leaving the air ducts and exhibits rage due to Susie's death. Pulling his gun on Ferdy, 
when he intercedes on Allison and Linda's behalf. I don't know what's going on right now. Rick tries to calm him down, and Ferdy suggests destroying the Killbot's main control center in hopes of shutting them all down. The group agrees and heads to the control center on the third floor. The robot throws Greg over the railing, and he falls to his death. See that right there? I always stay away from the railings and walls. You never know what's going to happen. You just walk on the side of the wall. <coughs> Ugh, it's dusty down here. On the run, the four remaining survivors, Allison, Ferdy, Rick, and Linda, also find the first robot recovered after its earlier defeat. Ooh. They take refuge inside a department store and set up mannequins to confuse Protector 1 and Protector 3. Their plan works as they fire it at the dummies, and one of them blinds itself with its own reflected laser. However, the blind Protector 3 kills Linda and an enraged Rick rams a golf cart into it. They had a golf cart in the mall? Oh, I guess, yeah, they have cars and stuff. A bolt of electricity kills him, but his attempts successfully destroy the robot. As the final robot called Protector 1 corners Allison, Freddy rescues her and shoots it point-blank, damaging its laser before he falls unconscious. Despite an injured leg, Allison escapes into the paint store and sets up a trap by mixing paint and chemicals. So chemicals and chemicals. She lures Protector 1 inside, where it gets stuck for failing where it gets stuck for failing to find traction on the spilled paint and thinners. She tosses a flare into the store, igniting the chemicals and finally destroys Protector 1. As daylight appears, Allison leaves the store and Ferdy awakens. The two remain the only survivors. In a post credit scene, a fourth unknown protector says its catchphrase, have a nice day. One last time. That's spooky. Hmm. Let's check out alternative versions. Hmm. At least two different versions of the film exist. The TV cut has some extra footage, such as a small homage to Attack of the Crab Monsters. Oh, that looks good. Extended scenes of Ferdy and Allison watching TV, some aerial shots, and an extension of one of the Ferdy Allison scenes. No official source offers this version. Whoa, strange bonus. On the DVD commentary tracks, Wynorski and Mitchell discussed many details of production, including an injury that the director suffered while helping prepare a stunt sequence, their unfriendly relationship with the Galleria security chief, and a friendly one with the mall's owner, the many beautiful women who were part of the cast, and the ways that they dealt with having little time or money, yet finished their work on time. That's spooky. Hmm. The name Chopping Mall was a suggestion of a janitor. Well, there's one more tab. Oh. Okay, here we go. Tammy and the T-Rex is a 1994 American science fiction comedy directed by Stuart Raff Raffle and written by Raffle and Gary Raquette. 
the film, which stars Terry Kistler, Ellen Dobbin, Denise Richards, Paul Walker, George Pilgrim, and John Franklin, centers around a high school student named Tammy, whose boyfriend Michael has a brain implanted in the body of a robotic Tyrannosaurus Rex by a mad scientist. Okay. Tammy... Tammy is at cheerleader practice, and her new boyfriend, Michael, walks in from football practice to observe. They meet Byron, Tammy's gay friend, who approves of Michael as her new boyfriend. Nice. Shortly thereafter, Tammy's violent and jealous ex-boyfriend, Billy, arrives with his gang and harasses Michael. Oh, that's spooky. A fight erupts between the two. The police arrive to break up the fight and take Billy into custody, but Tammy, unable to deal with the events, breaks down and runs away in tears. The scene then cuts to the figure of a Tyrannosaurus Rex in a dark warehouse, as two people, Dr. Watchenstein and his assistant Helga, walk through the doors. The lights come on, and the Tyrannosaurus figure begins to move, being controlled by someone in a room. Whoa, what's... Oh god, sorry, that's spooky. The doctor is impressed by the robotic dinosaur's strength and reveals his plan to implant a living human brain into the robot and give it consciousness, mobility, and immortality. Why is that in quotes? Do you think do you think he did like finger quotes when he saw it? Later that night, Michael sneaks out to see Tammy. They are soon interrupted by Billy and his thugs, who chase and catch Michael. They throw him into a wild animal park, where lions and jaguars run loose. Together? Do they normally live together? A lion mauls Michael, and he is left in a comatose state. Whoa. He is brought to a hospital, where his intoxicated uncle watches over him. Dr. Watchenstein and Helga declare Michael dead so they can use his brain to control their robotic Tyrannosaurus. Who made it? Who made it? Because they didn't make it. They're just like, cool, we're going to put a brain in it. But we didn't, they didn't make it. It just said, by someone in a room. Who made it? After his brain is implanted, Michael escapes and wreaks vengeance on his high school tormentors and is reunited with his sweetheart, Tammy. Hey. She realizes the dinosaur is Michael and begins a search to find a more suitable body for him. Dr. Watchenstein is hot in hot pursuit. He's I don't know if he's hot. I'm sorry. Dr. Watchenstein is in hot pursuit of his monstrous creation, which leads to a chase that ends with Michael killing the doctor. Police officers open fire and destroy the mechanical dinosaur. They've said Tyrannosaurus Rex like every other time. Why now, mechanical dinosaur? Tammy manages to recover Michael's brain. She takes it home with her and hooks it up to her computer, speakers, and video camera. This is temporary until they find a new body for him. Okay, that is spooky. Through the setup, Michael is able to speak. Oh my god! Through the setup, Michael is able to speak and see. 
which allows him to view Tammy performing a striptease. This causes the brain hookups to spark. Am I being punished? Is this a punishment? Is somebody... Is somebody listening? If somebody is listening, can you please come get me? I don't like this one. It's bad. It sounds bad. I'd like to go home, please. 